Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And, uh, of course, we're still here in Lourdes on a wonderful uh, pilgrimage we're, we're having in Lourdes, France. I'm here, of course, with uh, uh, Robert Hutton, sitting here in the French Catholic Cafe. How are you doing, Deacon Jeff? I'm doing fine. And, you know, the uh, the French Catholic Cafe is doing really well, isn't it? It is. Lots There's of activity. Lots of people here. Well, we're going to continue on our pilgrimage. And, in fact, we're going to talk more about pilgrimages and we have a great guest here to, to help us understand more about that. And that guest is Shep Abel. And Shep is a past president of the Federal Association of the Order of Malta. The Federal Association, Shep, that's, uh, that's one division of the Order of Malta in America. Is that correct? That's right. There are three associations in the United States, and this is one of them. Uh, now, I know that the Order of Malta uh, makes this pilgrimage to Lourdes every year. Right. Uh, and I think you've been on more than one of them, have you? But one, two, three, how many? Well, this is my 20th, Deacon Jeff. 20 pilgrimages. And so, obviously, you are you were a good, a good guest. He likes pilgrimages. <laughs> That's right. Well, very good. Well, you know, it's, it's Lourdes that you've been those 20 times. And uh, there's obviously something special here, isn't there? There sure is. Um, it started a little over 150 years ago. When a peasant girl, 14 years old, very weak and sickly, uh, was out gathering firewood to sell so her family could support itself, and um, she looked up and saw a lady, the Virgin Mary, as many of us believe, and she had 18 visions like that over the next five months. And in the ensuing 150 years, it's um, really captured the imagination of many, many Catholics who come here in large numbers. There's five or six million a year who yeah, come Yeah, it started pilgrims. off, uh, of course, there weren't a lot of people that were maybe thought through. She's kind of a little little girl that maybe had an excited memory or something. But uh, And it started off with a, a little doubt, but uh, it built and built and built to the point where, uh, and actually fairly rapidly, there were a lot of people that were eager to find out more about this uh, this lady that appeared to Bernadette. Uh, and now, you, like you say, six million people a year come to uh, to Lourdes and make a pilgrimage. Right. Yeah, there were 7,000 people that uh, showed up about a month after the visions began, and uh, that actually was a large enough number that it alarmed the authorities, but the authorities are pretty happy to have that many people coming these days. Wait, Chip, wh- why, why did they come? What did the Virgin Mary tell Bernadette? Well, she had a number of things that she said in the visions, but she said she wanted to pray for sinners, and many of the people who come recognize that all of us are sinners, of course. Uh, she asked to process in procession, and there's a lot of that goes on here. Uh, and she asked uh, to wash in the water of Lourdes, just a sort of reminder of the humility that our Lady stands for, and it's certainly Bernadette, this little nobody girl who has now become one of the great saints of the Catholic Church. Well, that's beautiful, and, and obviously this whole Lourdes experience has had a profound effect uh, on so many people. So many people have been touched mm-hmm. by this. And so maybe what we should talk about is when you, when you do a pilgrimage, 
what are you physically doing? What's happening? What is what is the Lourdes experience uh, like? You get off the airplane and you you find your hotel and you kind of lay down and acclimate to the time change, and then here you are. And and what is it that you experience? Well, there are probably a lot of different ways, Deacon Jeff, that people experience pilgrimages. But I can tell you how we do it and and some of the experiences that I've had. And I think of it as kind of an inside and an outside version. The outside version is is the places that we go to. There's a grotto, which is the place where the lady appeared, and that, of course, is is one of the most special and holy sites. And then there are many processions, a lot of which are built around the rosary, which is a very important form of devotion here. There's a huge uh, rosary pilgrimage uh, procession, I should say, every night. And there are masses and the stations of the cross. So those are all the external things that are wonderful. Well, and, and, and I should point out that the external things are quite beautiful. Right. Uh, just the you know the procession of candles and you you're, you it starts at dusk or whatever, and then by the time that you that you're finished with the procession, it's it's night, and uh, it's just lovely to see all those beautifully uh, lit candles being elevated at the aves, and uh, it's just it's beautiful, uh, and and it's a very uh, emotional and moving experience just to participate in that in that and see that visual beauty and to, and to witness the the beauty of the, uh, the the basilica and just the the river and and even the quaint little town that we're sitting in. That's right. It's a very emotional time and. Uh... Uh, many you'll look around at this uh, candlelight rosary procession, and you'll see a lot of people with tears coming down their face, including myself, I might say. So all of that is there, and you know we're an incarnational church, and those outward signs and devotions are really important to who we are as Catholics. And then there's what I think of as kind of the inside part of the pilgrimage, which is over the course of a week. We come from a Wednesday to a Wednesday, so it's one week every year. Um, there is the formation of a really a little community for a week, and that's a really beautiful thing. People, people share their experiences, and you get to know um, the people that you're with. And among the people that are with us, we bring a number of people who are sick and people who have disabilities. Um, the term that's used usually is the French term, malade, which is, covers people who are sick. And... Uh, we formed some quite beautiful bonds with those. There's a Catholic tradition of what's called accompaniment, as you know, Deacon Jeff. And I think there's a way in which we are accompanying. We are with people. There may not be as many physical things that we can do to relieve their suffering, but we can be with them, sort of a foot of the cross ministry, the way Mary and John and the holy women were at the foot of the cross. And I might say that it's a two-way accompaniment because... Some of these people, these malads, these people who are sick and, and have disabilities and the companions are accompanying them, they are really doing wonders for the rest of us who are here because we learn and, and draw so much strength from them. So it's a two-way street. Well, Shep, you mentioned the, the companions, and I have to be honest with you. I've been – this is my first pilgrimage here uh, with the Order of Malta, and i got to tell you, I'm, I'm truly moved by seeing that relationship between the malad and that companion. And I've seen some of these companions that they didn't do this because there was no one else to do it or uh, because they happened to get a week off and, and they were able to you know, finagle this, that, or the other thing to make it happen. They're doing it out of a real genuine sense of concern and love. Uh, and, and truly what that companion means, you know, the, uh, it's always interesting, the word companion, where it comes from, that, the history of that etymology of that word, it come, come, that C-O-M part is like with uh, and pond comes from bread. They're breaking bread. These are people that are sort of eucharistically bound 
they're just out of the love of Christ, they're coming to share themselves with that malad in a very special and profound way. And that's very moving to me. Yeah, it's moving to me too, uh, Deacon Jeff. Of course, they're breaking that tremendous French bread that you have here in the that's French right. Catholic Cafe. But you, you see companions who are friends who would give up a week and, uh, and take on the role of coming with a friend of theirs who's sick. But what is most moving to me is to see the family members. You could have a sister or a brother or a spouse. And most particularly, I think, the parents, the parents of a child with a profound disability or profound illness, I must say, year after year, they just blow me away with the love that they evidence and carry out, uh, not just, and we know it's not just on this pilgrimage, but they're doing it 24-7, and it is a tremendous inspiration to us. And why, why is this associated with healing? Did Bernadette, were there, were there healings? associated with Bernadette? Or why do we bring the sick to Lourdes? Well, it's, there were healings uh, started right away uh, during these apparitions, and people began to believe that it was a sacred place. And if there's a sacred place, you would go there to pray, and one of the reasons you go to pray is because you have something that's a, a bodily affliction that you would want to pray about. And so it started very early, and the tradition developed, and, and many people come to thinking that, uh, that there will be cures and miracles. And we, we should talk about the, the concept of a pilgrimage to begin with and, and, and why a pilgrimage is such an important thing to do and maybe why the Order of Malta uh, uses this as a, a fundamental and key uh, thing around which they build so much of their ministry. Good questions. Um, the word pilgrimage uh, at the time that Bernadette had these visions in 1858, in, in the local language it meant you leave a safe and secure place and you go out in order to be with other people, to share yourself with other people, to share your life with other people for this period of time. And you went out to a place that was a holy place. Um, that's tied into the Order of Malta, which was founded back about 900 years ago, and it was founded in Jerusalem. It was originally the Hospitaller Order of St. John of Jerusalem. And the whole reason it was founded is there was an Italian merchant who was there on business, and he noticed that in Jerusalem at that time, if the pilgrims who came to Jerusalem even then were sick, uh, there was no place for them to go. Nobody was given any medical care. If they got uh, abused by robbers, there was nobody to take care of them. So he felt... There was a need to form a religious order that would be lay people and that would help people who were sick and impoverished. And so the very roots of the order of what is now called the Order of Malta, the roots were in pilgrimage itself. So it's a natural for us. You know, you don't hear much about someone saying, well, where are you, you, know, where are you going on vacation this year? We hear vacation. We know what that is. We even hear words like retreat. We hear words like, uh, uh, you know, visit. We're going to visit someone. We're going to take a retreat. We're going to, but we don't often hear, I'm going to make a pilgrimage. Yes. What does that mean to make a pilgrimage? Making a pilgrimage means usually you would join with other people and you would go to a site that is sacred, and that would be a place of prayer. But also getting to the pilgrimage place itself is part of the action. Right, the part journey of is part of the experience. Exactly. Yeah. And the people that you're with form a community. As I said, it's a small community. That's a part of pilgrimage as well. So it's all tied into the sacred place and the journey and the people that you're with, as you say, your companions, the people that you're breaking bread with on the journey. It's all a sacred thing. And a big part of the tradition of the church, 
little pilgrimages, big pilgrimages, uh, holy places all over. Sometimes people don't even know that they're there. But uh, it's an important part of our tradition. Right. We should point out that not every pilgrimage takes place in Lourdes. This is a wonderful pilgrimage to this place. But also, there are places right around the corner from you. You might be amazed at, at some little monastery, some little shrine, uh, right around the corner that you can, you can make that sort of holy journey, whether it's a short one or maybe a little more extended one. That's right. My wife has a prayer group, and they meet every Wednesday for prayer. And once a year, they make a little pilgrimage. And it could be just to a local basilica that they would go to to pray together. But the journey is, is, part, of the, uh, is part of the meaning. Wonderful. We have more to talk about, about this concept of pilgrimage, and especially the, the pilgrimage here to Lourdes when we return. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone we have a website called thecatholiccafe.com, so come and visit us there. Also, I'd love for you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so, with that, we will be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski. And this is another great moment in church history. Throughout history, God's faithful have experienced the spiritual benefits of pilgrimages. Because man is both a physical and spiritual being, God works through the created world, using things and places to help his people obtain a deeper intimacy with him. We see in the gospel, Jesus curing a blind man by rubbing mud and spittle into his eyes, and a woman being cured by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. In the Acts of the Apostles, people longed to touch merely the shadow of Peter, recognizing that it was connected to someone holy. Garments, shadows, and even mud, all ordinary things are used by God to convey special grace, because of whom they have touched. Places have also been treated throughout history with reverence. In the book of Exodus, Moses was told by Yahweh in the burning bush to remove his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. In the Old Testament, faithful Jews would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem to offer Passover sacrifice at the temple, as the temple's Holy of Holies was viewed in a special way to manifest the presence of God himself. At least from the 4th century onward, it was popular for Christians to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to walk where Jesus walked, see the place where the Lord was crucified, and be present at the place of the resurrection. Pilgrimages in ancient times were arduous. It took months to travel from Europe to the Holy Land, with great risks of robbers and other hardships. In the Middle Ages, with the Holy Land being in Muslim control, Christians making the pilgrimage at often times would face death or enslavement. Today, pilgrimage is still popular as a means to strengthen one's faith. Millions travel to places throughout the world where Mary, mother of Jesus, has appeared to faithful, such as Lourdes, France, Fatima, Portugal, and Guadalupe, Mexico. These faithful travel on pilgrimage to ask Mary, mother of Jesus, to intercede for their healing or their spiritual growth. And of course, people are still making pilgrimages to the Holy Land. There is a grace that comes from a dedicated journey to a sacred place. With all of its struggles and hardships, the act of undertaking a journey for God helps the pilgrim further his interior journey. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe here, French style, right, Robert? We're baguettes and cappuccinos and all that kind of stuff. Yes, the good food. That's right, Not cafe. the food we serve back home. That's right. This is the good stuff. It's got lots of uh, butter and uh, sugar and cream and whatnot in it. It does. It's good for you. Well, we're still talking to Chef Abel, and we're talking about pilgrimages, especially more specifically the pilgrimage uh, that he's taken 20 times here to Lourdes. And we talked a little bit about the idea that people come to Lourdes to be healed. You know, you've seen movies and such, like Song of Bernadette, where there'll be these images of crutches and wheelchairs abandoned and cast aside because of all these miraculous healings. People start wondering, is this a holy place and is this where I would come to be healed? Well, you're right, of course, Deacon Jeff, that there's been a great uh, association over the years of throwing away your crutches with Lourdes. And it has happened. God's uh, will to have it happen um, has been carried out. Uh, there are, in fact, doctors who have the most rigorous standards you can imagine, and they have certified upwards of 65 miracles over the last 150 years, which is not to say there may not have been many, many, many other cures, but didn't meet these rigorous uh, test for no other possible explanation. Those are proven beyond a reasonable doubt, in other words. Right, and even maybe beyond 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 that, you're talking. And so there's a probably lawyer. lots yeah. of cases also where there's just like uh, just maybe more subtle experiences of that of that medical cure, right, taking place in someone. Maybe it's not it's something you didn't even know you had. You know that kind of thing. But or no one ever asked to have it approved as a miracle. That's exactly right. Well, I, you, that could certainly be the case. But you don't want to take the play away from what really happens uh, yeah, I was every say, time. I was going to say come. because the, 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 if, if the goal is merely to be cured of a disease, that's, that's, that doesn't necessarily come under the, uh, the heading of pilgrimage. I mean, you, you want to make sure that this, this is a holy experience, right? And, and which usually means encountering and living God's will. Right. And I don't think I should try to invent the term for it, but let me tell you that in 1981, Pope John Paul II came to Lourdes. He was the first pope to come as pope to Lourdes. And he gave a number of homilies. In one of the homilies, he said, there are physical miracles, yes, but there are always miracles of the heart. And I've seen miracles of the heart every single time I've come, all the 20 times. And as a matter of fact, Pope John Paul II came back a second time, not so much as a great pope as a malad. He came as a sick man at the end of his life when he was suffering from Parkinson's. And to me, that was one of the greatest witnesses that you can give to the Malads to have the Holy Father himself come as a Malad. It's those miracles of the heart where people get the courage that they need to carry on. They get the strength to be as cheerful as they are. And I'm talking not just about people who are sick or people with disabilities, but those wonderful companions who are with it and are living this all the time. And then the rest of us, we just kind of bask in that reflected grace and we get uh, strength because, if you think about it, all of us are malads too. Every one of us uh, has weaknesses and vulnerabilities. They may not show themselves in physical illness or disability, but it's there. And if we're not malads now, we're going to be. Well, you use the term miracle when you talk about miracles of the heart. What do you mean? What's, what's miraculous about it? Well, miraculous in the sense of the modern world, which says shouldn't be any suffering, shouldn't be anything that's bad, put it in a corner or if it's bad. Uh, it's miraculous to say I'm, we're going to face up to that. Uh, our faith is a faith of joyful Christians, and that's the way we're going to be. In a way, that's kind of miraculous. So I think what it is is as far as people who are seriously ill or, or have profound disabilities, 
all of us would think it must be so tremendously difficult for people just to struggle on day by day and to see them with a sense of um, actual joy. We see that, cheerfulness, never complaining, willingness to carry on, a new hope for the future, even if it doesn't carry with it a physical healing. Um, that's a wonderful thing, and, and we see it all the time. You know, with the physical healing, while that can be a beautiful gift from God, John Paul II, in fact, told us, especially by his living example, that sometimes that suffering is a beautiful gift from God. But the word that you said earlier that really I just keyed in on, that part of the fruits of, of this pilgrimage, you said the word hope. And that's something that, that's the miracle that I see. When I talk to some of these Malads and their companions, and they have that hope that they're going to accept God's will, that they're going to, be, that they're going to have a joyful life, that they're, going to, that they're going to go to heaven whenever God's ready for that to happen, that they're going to live their life to the full, uh, and they're going to be open to, to God's healing, whatever that might mean. But that sense of hope is something that's just so beautiful to see. It is beautiful to see. I remember last year we had a young man. He was about 16 years old, uh, and uh, he was called Junior. And Junior had been injured in a tragic automobile accident where a policeman went down his street at 60 miles an hour in chase of somebody, and he was put in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And uh, this was a young man who was a great athlete and had looked forward to a very different kind of life. And his parents uh, came with him. The amount of devotion that they gave to him was totally incredible. But Junior wants to carry on. I talked with him a few weeks ago, even um, but just before I came on this pilgrimage. He says, I'm going to go not just finish high school, I'm going to go to college, I want to be an engineer. Uh, and this is a young man who has hope for the future, and it would be easy not to have too much hope in the future. Um, about the only downer for him was he loves the Steelers, and he was a little disappointed <laughs> they didn't win the Super Bowl. Well, yeah. I see, again, that's so beautiful to see what the world would tell you is, well, you're no good anymore, that you're broken. It wouldn't say those words, but you might feel that way because there are a lot of instances where you don't feel uh, that you're going to fit into something, and you don't feel like you have any value. And I put my little fingers up here in quotes because that we, we see that word value, and it's been so distorted by what... Uh, what the world has told us. But here's a young man who sees his value, he sees his potential, and again, he sees hope. And uh, that's a joyous person to be around. It, he's a tremendously joyous person to be around. And his family sees hope in him. It'd be easy for the family to give up, too. Um, but, but they haven't, and uh, they've, they've told me several times how, how much they felt they had benefited from the graces they'd gotten at Lourdes. Shep, somebody told me once that with Lourdes, not everybody is cured but everybody can be healed. And by meaning that the distinction between not everyone gets the physical cure, but there are healings that go on here with almost everyone that either bring them to accept God's grace in their life or to give them the strength to carry on or the courage to carry on or give the companions courage and strength to see God in this process and to see that there is good despite the tremendous suffering. Yes, that's absolutely true, Robert, and it's not just the the people who are sick or disabled or their companions, it's all the rest of us who come as part of this pilgrimage community because I've seen over the years marriages healed, I've seen um, friendships that have been breached, restored. I mean, there is a lot of healing and who am I to know where it comes from or whether it springs out of Lourdes, but you see it happening time after time and you say, something's going on here, and as you say, it is healing. It may not be physical healing, throwing away their crutches, but it is real. Now, we, we're here at Lourdes, and it's such a beautiful experience and, a, and has a wonderful tradition in history. 
But it's important that we do set aside a time and place in our life for a pilgrimage, at least once in our life, but maybe as many times as once a year or just at a regular interval. But a pilgrimage is important for us to engage in. It, it's important, and it's, you know, that's part of the tradition of the church that maybe has been lost a bit. In the, back in the Middle Ages and, and later, uh, people had to make a pilgrimage once every lifetime. They were, they were supposed to during their life, and people would walk all the way across Russia take an inexpensive boat down and walk across the Holy Land to come to Jerusalem, and the whole village back in Russia would pull together the money for just a few people to come, and it was incredibly important as a part of their tradition. And we have lost some of that, but you're right, Deacon Jeff, it's a, it's a great thing, and it takes making a little bit of time to do, even though it might not be just more than a day or two or three, but uh, it's a great thing to do. A lot of us will take trips, like we'll plan a trip, and we're planning to go, like, it wasn't long ago that I, I thought, you know, my wife and I, we, we wanted to visit Rome. And so I went and bought a travel guide and started flipping through and seeing where I wanted to go. But perhaps maybe what I should have done was, rather than call it a trip, call it a pilgrimage. And then let that sort of direct maybe what my experience would be on that trip. So in other words, it wasn't just uh, going to a famous site, going to a gift shop, going to a famous site, going to a gift shop, going to lunch, going to another famous site, going to a gift shop, which is part of a journey. But at the same time, maybe if we had framed it more in a pilgrimage aspect and then maybe done some reading to sort of reflect upon what happened at that particular site and maybe bring ourselves in a prayerful way into that that it would have changed the whole uh, uh, experience of that ordinary vacation would have become a pilgrimage. So we can do that on a, on a more common and regular basis than we probably think. That's true. The prayer that you mention is, of course, crucial. I mean, if you shape it and frame it with prayer and, and think about the spiritual aspects of the places you're going to, that can make all the difference. Another traditional place for pilgrimage is the Holy Land, and I've been able to go a few times to that, but I was thinking we just went last September to the Holy Land, my wife and I, with a group of other pilgrims, and that was organized as a pilgrimage. We stopped, we prayed, we read the Gospels where we were. That's, of course, pretty easy to do when you're there, but it's not. it was not just another sightseeing where let's go and, as you say, uh, get into the gift shops. That's not to say we avoided the gift shops altogether, but... Uh, there are lots of places that you can go, many sites in, in North America, and uh, it can be a beautiful thing. And if nothing else, you're taking time out of your life that you are dedicating to getting closer to the Lord with a little bit of silence built into it. And Lord knows we all need that in our hectic daily lives. Shep, thank you so much for joining us and just sort of enlightening our listeners a little bit about making pilgrimages. It's been an honor and a pleasure having you here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. Well, thanks, and thanks for this good French coffee. All right, no problem. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we know that you love us and want us to live with you forever in heaven. Help us on our pilgrimage in life to grow closer to you and to live as Jesus taught us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.